Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Steve Oaken, good morning. Welcome back to the show. International News Review. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great, and let me just say, you know, I have my four Coldplay tickets. I was going to invite Neil Humphreys. He is off the list. <laughs> oh, no. A- anyone who would insult Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and Joe Walsh does not know music. That's all I have to say. Oh, we couldn't be any whiter and middle-aged <laughs> oh, if we tried. Oh, there you go. Well, Steve, I will go with you to the show because I think it's going to be a great show, but... You haven't invited me. I like yet. Coldplay. I like Coldplay. <laughs> All right, hey, let's go. Uh, let's go first to Washington D.C. Um, the Indian Prime Minister Modi uh, had a state visit with President Biden and company, um, and the first press conference that Modi had done in a long, long time. Um, a very well-managed one, but uh, so a lot of interesting things, state dinner, all kinds of love happening in the geopolitical space between India and the U.S. Is that because of what's happening with the U.S. and China? No, oh, of course. That's, what that's, <laughs> that's driving a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it is that there's a very strong relationship historically between the U.S. and India. There are so many Indians who are now in the United States who are critical to, to U.S. leadership. And I don't know if you saw Prime Minister Modi's address to the joint session where he referred to all of the members of Congress who have heritage in India and then turned around because Vice President Harris was sitting behind him and said, and of course, Vice President Harris, too, and got a huge standing ovation for recognizing the accomplishments of, of Indians and Indian Americans in the United States. And so a very, very strong relationship. But of course, this meeting, this state visit, it was as much about China as it was about U.S. and India. And, you know, President Biden pulled out all the stops to make this a transformational moment in the U.S.-India relationship. And looking as the now world's most populous country will be an economic and regional counterweight to China. But what happens with the issue of Russia, for example. As you know, India hugely dependent on Russian defense and oil imports. It's one of the reasons, arguably, why Russia has managed to deal with the sanctions elsewhere because of its economic relationship with India. How does Biden get around that? Well, it's look, it's it's it's, it's like China wasn't mentioned um, by Biden. Russia wasn't mentioned by Modi. Uh, you know, Neil, I'm sure you as an author would have been appalled by the use of the passive voice that Mr. Modi used, uh, <laughs> avoiding Russia or China in any of his discussions. For example, he said with the Ukraine conflict, war has returned to Europe, war has returned to Europe without saying who started the war. Yeah. All right. And so he, he look, India gets a huge amount of purchases of energy from Russia. It's dramatically increased its purchases of discounted energy from Russia because of the West boycott. It has a longstanding, India has a longstanding military relationship with Russia. But that is something that that President Biden and the West are going to overlook because there is the shared interest of the U.S., and India and the rest of the West when it comes to China. Can that keep going, though? Because it, it wasn't that long ago I was reading he was, he was denied a visa. He was denied a visa over human rights issues, and now he's getting standing ovations <laughs> in the Congress. 
How long is a minute in geopolitics? Well, and, and, and that's, you know, this go, you can go back, well, certainly before Kissinger, but if you want to go back to, to Kissinger's formulation of, you know, U.S. foreign policy, it was realpolitik, right? And, and why did the U.S. open up to China and Mao under Nixon? It was because it was a counterweight to the Soviet Union. And so India is you can't compare India in in you know in the 2020s to China in the 1970s. Um you know India and the US have have, have much more in common. They certainly have democratic roots together, but it is something that the US is going to be in their interest and that's what happens when Joe Biden says during the campaign he's going to put human rights at the center of U.S. foreign policy. Well, that lasts as long as the campaign well, <laughs> lasts as long as it coincides with U.S. geostrategic interests right. and what's happening with the U.S. and Saudi Arabia now. Yeah. You know, the fist bump with MBS, which is again, I don't want to equate MBS with Modi. They're two very different. But you're not going to give MBS a state dinner, but you'll certainly give Modi a state dinner. And that doesn't mean like people like AOC boycotted the joint, uh, you know, the address to the joint session of Congress by Modi because of his human rights violations. Mm-hmm. So there was some protest in the United States against this. Yeah. And, and what do you think would be the outcome, the geopolitical outcome for the U.S. of this week of events that that he has had? Is it going to be arms sales? Is it going to be some kind of access to the Indian marketplace for businesses. What like what is what is going to be the end game here, aside from showing China that India and the U.S. are good friends? All of the above. I mean, Glenn, you hit it right. I mean, the the two sides, the U.S. India, agreed to outcomes on a semiconductor partnership, on quantum and artificial intelligence coordination, on export control cooperation, on critical mineral cooperation. So you see, India and the U.S. and that means. The rest of America's partners and India are going to be moving closer together. Exactly the opposite of what the the partners are doing when it comes to China, right? The U.S. is using export controls to limit China's access to the most advanced semiconductors. It's racing against China when it comes to the development of quantum and AI. It's becoming you know, working with its partners such as Australia to become less reliant on China for critical minerals. So it's moving in the exact opposite directions when it comes to India and it comes to China. All right. Let's move now to China, since you said the magic C word there. Um, uh, Secretary of State Blinken was uh, in what turned out to be a fairly controversial setting for his meeting in Beijing. A lot was made of the table arrangements, the chair arrangements and everything. Uh, maybe you take us a little bit into that. But what was uh, what happened with Blinken in Beijing this week? Well, I mean, I think the key thing to remember is that that he even went and the U.S. has not had a secretary of state in China for five years. You had the and there was a question of whether even, you know, Xi Jinping would meet with Secretary Blinken. And they did meet and they met for 35 minutes. So at least this put a floor, we hope, a floor under the deterioration of U.S.-China relations. Look, there are things that that came up, you know, how come Secretary Blinken didn't sit next to presidency? What did President Biden say after the meeting? All of that is is really irrelevant to the fact that at least the two sides have have spoken. We we, I want to say the relationship is back on track, um, but 
can it at least lead to President Xi and President Biden meeting in San Francisco in November? So, look, you want to go class half full, half empty. I'm going to go half full. We could talk about the chair thing, but I think that was maybe bad staff work, um, but irrelevant at the end of the day. I've heard a lot of contrary uh, opinions on that. China plans everything to the nth degree. This would not have been a random thing. The seating arrangements would have been uh, organized well in advance. They knew the optics. They knew what it would look like for a PR exercise. And it did look like there was one dominant partner in, or not partner, one dominant uh, state in that room and a second tier state. It did look like a shift, a clear shift, a deliberate shift in geopolitical optics. These things are not done by chance. Yeah, but you know, sometimes they are done by chance. Now, of, of course, China did set it up where you had President Xi sitting basically at the head of the table and, 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 and Secretary Blinken off to his side where you go back five years ago and it was Secretary Pompeo sitting next to President Xi. So, yes, China probably said we want to do this differently. And you could say the U.S., should have pushed back, didn't realize it should have pushed back. The person who was doing the advance work didn't realize that in five years ago, because he wasn't there five years ago, Secretary Pompeo sat next to C, and now he's not sitting next to C. So I don't think there's some, you know, look, yes, it was deliberate, of course, by China to set it up. Why did the U.S. let it happen? Was it just a mistake? Is anyone going to care who, now, if President Biden didn't sit next to presidency, that would be a huge deal. But mm. it, it, it shouldn't have happened. I agree with those commentators saying the, the U.S. should have pushed to have this. Why they didn't, we don't know. I'm going to go with it was just somebody who is not experienced enough who were they were so focused on trying to get this meeting. Apparently, they didn't even know the meeting was coming. They get the meeting at the last minute. Somebody should have said, wait, we've got to fix this. And then if you're Secretary Blinken and you walk into the room and you see you're not next to him, do you pick up the chair and move it next to presidency? Would that have been an even worse <laughs> incident in an insult? So I'm going to just let it go. Um, don't let it happen again. And, and, and this is not going to dictate where the U.S. and China end up in the next few months, let alone where this is good. No one's going to be thinking about this three, four, five years from now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, look, I, I hear what you're saying, Steve. He was there versus not being there. Um, I, I feel like. You know, we've all lived in this part of the world long enough to know that these kinds of things are important. They make a difference. And it was deliberate. And, you know, when they happen one way or the other, they are deliberate occurrences. In this case, it probably means more to the Chinese community, you know, the the mainland Chinese community, that the seatings were that way versus the Americans who wouldn't understand necessarily what why that was important. But. You know, to your point, let's see what happens in the next few months. Let's see what happens where she is sitting when he goes to San Francisco or wherever. <laughs> we know where she's going to sit. If, look, the question is, is he even going to go to San Francisco? Yeah. Is he going to meet with President Biden? Let's hope so. I mean, well, I mean, what the, the U.S. wanted out of this agreement was to get military to military discussions right. back on track. And that that's di- the bigger challenge. That didn't happen. The, the yeah. Chinese refused that. Now, yeah. Yeah. hopefully we will see Secretary Raimondo go to 
to China. We will see, I think, even more importantly than getting the the U.S.-China business and economic relationship back on track. Let's see if Secretary Kerry, the envoy, the special envoy for climate, goes to China to meet with his counterpart. We need we need cooperation on U.S. Uh, on 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 uh, you know stopping the climate crisis between the U.S. and China. That's critical. And if this leads to Secretary Kerry's ability to re-engage with his counterpart in China, that's much more important than where Secretary Blinken was sitting. We're mm. all gonna, we're going to forget about this. I, I think similarly to we're going to forget about the fact that Joe Biden, right after the visit, called Xi Jinping a dictator. <laughs> that's that's also something that people are talking about that I think is going to be forgotten as well. But all right. Was it smart politics, though, in any context? for the American president to refer to the Chinese president as a dictator at this moment in time. And just to give you a stat, right, I read this, guys. A recent survey by the Eurasia Group Foundation suggests that more than 90% of respondents from South Korea, Philippines and Singapore are worried about a confrontation between the two superpowers. Is this the time for one side to be calling the other side dictatorial in any context? Well, I think in part it depends on who's saying it. Joe Biden is Joe Biden. Joe Biden ends a speech in, you know, on gun control with God save the king, man, I think. Or is it God save the queen? I can't remember. Joe Biden says things and that you take that is is to what who who he is, what he says and what you know what China has done already. Now, they came out very strongly initially uh, against the statement that she was a dictator. And and he said this in an in an off the record or setting at a fundraiser in response in basically defending C, basically saying C didn't know about the balloon, which has caused all, all these problems politically in the United States in, in ramping up the anger towards China. And Biden was saying, yeah, C didn't even know about this. And, and this is a problem when a dictator doesn't know about things. And so it's in that context. Now, the foreign ministry comes out and says this is a serious violation of diplomatic protocol. It severely infringes on China's political dignity. It's a blatant political provocation. China expresses strong dissatisfaction and opposition. The remarks are extremely absurd and irresponsible. But you know what happened? When China issues its transcript of its daily briefing in Chinese to the Chinese people, it excluded all of that. Mm. Right. So it doesn't want this to China doesn't want this to Mm. be a problem. The U.S. doesn't want this to be a problem. It is going to move forward. And it's no different than where Blinken sat than where Biden talked in a in a speech. All right. Let's move on. Uh, The tragedy this week that unfolded in the North Atlantic, the tourist submarine that uh, that. apparently imploded, uh, killing all five on board. Uh, It was uh, easily at the top of the news cycle um, for uh, quite a number of days during the the search uh, operations. Um, Of course, you know, in any tragedy like this, the the first thought goes to the the victims and the families and friends of those victims. And we we certainly want to make sure that that is the first thing we say. The second thing we want to talk about today is why and how this story gets so much coverage when there are so many other valuable, needy, worth, worthwhile stories that don't get the same, the same coverage. For example, refugees dying off the coast of Greece, you know, 100 plus of them, et cetera, et cetera. Where are we when we look at this in a bigger, broader context, Steve? Why is it that we see some of these stories with 
relatively small impact, uh, albeit important impact to to those involved. Look, I mean, it's so much more, uh, you know, play. Look, this was this was a Hollywood movie come to life, right? I mean, here you had these explorers. I can put in air quotes, these explorers going to search the Titanic. No one knows if they're alive or dead. There is a clock running as to when their oxygen will run out. So there is an end to this story. It is a great story. Uh, And it is it's got all of the it's got the Titanic. It's got a time limit. It's got life or death. Now, look, if anyone in this room between me and Neil can be angry about this, it will be me because it's my tax dollars which went to look for these people who weren't even Americans. They weren't even Americans. It was not an American-registered vessel. It was not regulated by the United States of America. It did not occur in U.S. territorial water. Yet I am fine with my tax dollars going to search for these people because we knew the five of them could have been alive. We thought that at the time. Maybe they weren't, what we learned later. And Spend the money and and try and find them and try and show that we are going to try and help people when we can, where we can. And it is an amazing story. So, of course, this is going to dominate global headlines. No surprise that it did. No surprise. I agree. I actually agree with you on that. Titanic exploration. It hits a nerve with everybody. I don't have an issue with that. But the fact, Steve, the optics again, the same week as the boat that Glenn mentions, it's up to 750 people on board, 100 children, I'll say that again, 100 children Mm. on that boat that capsized. Not my words, but I read a commentary in The Guardian that says, in the news cycle, and maybe in the psyche generally, we, in air quotes, expect this to happen to migrant boats. We don't expect this to happen to wealthy folks looking for the Titanic. Is there an element of that playing into the narrative? Well, I mean, I think that's part of, you know, you know, what's news. I mean, the fact that there's, you know, awful living conditions that people are fleeing from them and that and that they have nowhere to go and they are so desperate. Yes, we we that has been going on for decades, if not longer. And when those tragedies occur, you that is something, the question is, what should we be doing about it? How should we be preventing it? And we don't seem to be doing a whole lot to prevent those things. This is different. This is a movie that that has come to life. And so I don't think you can be expecting the media to be rushing out to covering this. Don't blame the media. Don't blame the fact that, that, the, that people were clicking on this mm-hmm. Constantly watching the live updates. Did we hear anything? Have we found anything? Where could they possibly be? How are they being treated back home? All of these human elements were there. So if you want to start saying, put this into context of what should we be doing about migrants? How should we be ending the refugee crisis? I just think that is a false equivalency to be making. Fair enough. But on that point, you you said a very interesting thing about your tax dollars. James Cameron, who knows a thing or two about Titanic expeditions, Mm. I think he's done Mm. 33, and he engineered his own capsule. He has now said they knew. They knew within seconds of this thing missing within the fraternity what had happened. It was probably instant because, in his words, not mine, in his words, the design, the whole setup of this place. The carbon fiber. Was irresponsible. All, all of it. His words, irresponsible. Yeah. So coming back to your tax dollars, at what point is there a cutoff between, look, if billionaires, rich people want to play around in the ocean, the consequences are on them 
not the taxpayer. That, I mean, that's the, 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 the interesting debate. What should be the public burden mm. of private risk and risk-taking behavior? And it seems that because of technology, and maybe you could blame COVID, that people now want to get out and, and, and be even do different things, and that you have all of this income inequality, so you have all these billionaires that, that Neil loves who can now spend money on these very risk-taking activities. Mm. Of course they can do it. Right now, they are allowed to do it. But should my tax dollars, if it's the United States or your tax dollars, if you're in Singapore, or your tax dollars, or if you're in UK, should the should the public be subsidizing them, knowing that there is going to be a rescue right. when they are doing these crazy things? That's yeah. a I think that that's a, a debate. It's a valid point. But yeah. I, I don't know that the United States would ever allow if this situation came up again, would people just say, eh, shouldn't have done it so they can die? There, you know, there is this rule of the sea, though. Uh, you know, as anybody um, as anybody knows, if a sea, if any kind of vessel is in trouble, people automatically hear if they hear the call, they they redirect, they divert whatever they're doing to go help people. You know, it's, it's hundreds of years old, this kind of tradition on the sea one element of this story. Yeah, but it wasn't a hundred years. You weren't expecting people to take these submersibles down to visit the Titanic for $250,000 and then say, oh, but you're going to come rescue me if something bad happens. That's, I don't think that was what the rule was a hundred years ago. Yeah. Or so. All right. Do let us know what you think. WhatsApp yeah. us 8855-0893. I want to know your thoughts on the Titanic rescue. Okay. Steve, we're going to go back into a little bit of politics, uh, something we've been trying to get to for a few weeks now, and we we have f- four minutes to discuss it um, because then I have to play a Don Henley song. That's going to be one that Nia really wants to hear. Boys of Summer. Uh, Boys of Summer. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, but anyway, third party in the U.S. The U.S. Have, of course have the Republicans, the Democrats, and we have discussed the possibility of some of these well-known politicians in the past that have gone more toward independent status. Um, and could a third party be possible in coming elections, if not the coming election? Well, the question is, that what, is a third party possible? Of course, it's what would the consequences be of a third party? And if you just say and, and have, want to have a theoretical discussion and say, look, the Republicans are moving too far to the right. The Democrats are moving too far to the left. We, there, there's a big center that's not being represented by either party. So let's bring together a third party that's, that's in the middle. Um, you could call it hypothetically no labels. Right? We're not going to put a label on this party, which is what they're actually the calling no it right party. now. The no label party, no labels, and and say, hey, that makes perfect sense. Let's let's do that. The problem is what is going to happen because of our electoral system is that if there's a third party, the view is that this is going to give the election to Donald Trump. Yes. Um, and that you're only going to get a third party if the Republicans nominate Trump. If the Republicans nominate someone other than Trump, then you're not going to have the, the, the impetus to have a third party. So Trump gets the nomination. Biden gets the nomination. We find some third party and maybe it's somebody like Joe Manchin, you know, the senator from from West Virginia. Or it's a guy like Will Hurd, the moderate Republican, mm-hmm. former congressman from Texas. And you bring them together. Well, what's going to happen is Trump's still going to win all those red states. 
Biden will win most of the blue states, but the third party is going to take the votes away from the blue states and give it to the third party. And which means that Joe Biden's chances of being president with a third party are much less. And it weighs the election to Donald Trump. So it pulls it pulls people away from from it, from it pulls Biden. more people away from Biden in those swing states. Yeah. That's what it happens. And it's why you're seeing that groups not like just Democrats who are attacking the no labels party, but like even, you know, the 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 Lincoln group, which is very much a former Republicans opposed to Donald Trump. They're attacking the third party, saying this is going to help Donald Trump. We can't allow a third party in this situation because it elects mm. Trump. You don't have a third party in a different situation. I'll just say when when um my old friend, I think, has been on the show, Mike McCurry, in the past. McCurry, had, he went, worked in Colorado in 1992. Bill Clinton won Colorado only because Ross Perot ran as an independent candidate, pulled enough votes away from George H.W. Bush to give Bill Clinton Colorado. That, in that scenario, the independent Ross Perot helped Bill Clinton. In this scenario, the independent Joe Manchin is going to help Donald Trump. And it can be a real problem for the election if you are voting for Biden or against mm. Trump. All right. There we go. we got to leave it there, Steve. Thanks for uh, bringing us up to speed on that. We'll see who, if anybody, can uh, come in and bring in that no-name party. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next week. See you at Coldplay. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.